millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The world is suffering. Things are aggressive and divided. The collective nervous system is fried. What is the answer to regulating the nervous system? Gentleness. I want to be heart-centered no matter what. I don't want to let a bad mood throw me off. I want to be able to be loving and compassionate and clear-minded at all times. In order to do that, you can't be at the mercy of your feelings. If you're going to be unmessable with, heart-centered, it's not about if you're happy or if that made you sad or if you're angry. Those things are happening. You don't push them away, but you choose to be bigger. Play with the concept that your heart is actually always open. That it's your mind that has you think they're better than you, you're inferior. The mind is not the enemy. The ego is not the enemy. The ego is the way home. Welcome to this week's conversation on the Inspired Evolution. It is with Daniel Laporte and we go super deep on what it means to be more loving. Now, she recently wrote this book, and it is a book on relationships. However, at the heart of it, we come home to the fact that this is all about self-acceptance. The most important relationship we have is our relationship with ourself. Now, we talk about all sorts of things that are going on in the world today, but conversations around the age of Aquarius, conversations around even personal dark nights of the soul and whether the world is going through a collective dark night of the soul at the moment. And she had some really powerful insights of this. At the heart of it, we talked about gentleness and what it means to cultivate self-love. We talked about boundaries and the nuance between as we become more spiritual, our container expands so we're able to take on more. What is the role of boundaries? Are we meant to be able to take on more and dissolve into collective oneness as we become more and more capacitated through our inspired evolution and our growth? What is the space for healthy boundaries and what does that look like? Ultimately, I think this is a conversation that you're going to find really useful about how to navigate your relationship with yourself through this time of collective awakening. At the heart of it, I think this is a conversation about keeping the light alive in your heart in a time where the world is going through so much change, transition, uncertainty in and around potentially what could be a lot of darkness. It's about how to cultivate the light in your heart and how to stay connected to it, how to work with it, how to stay super grounded, super centered, and ultimately super whole and robust in these testing times. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. 
keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself, do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. Welcome back to the Inspired Evolution. And we have with us today a very, very, very special treat. We have with us Daniel Laporte. Danielle, how are you today? I'm well. It's been a while. Uh, lucky you. <laughs> I kid. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here and doing this again with us. For those that are tuning in, yes, we have had a wonderful conversation with Daniel before on the Inspired Evolution podcast. But for those tuning into her for the first time, I find that hard to believe. But nonetheless, she is a best-selling author, an in- inspirational speaker, entrepreneur, and a blogger. She is a member of Oprah's coveted Super Soul 100. She's a former director of Future Studies Think Tank in Washington, D.C., and now she speaks about the intelligence of the heart. Her most recent book, How to Be Loving, is dedicated to this. She's also widely recognized as the author of The Firestarter Sessions, The Desire Map, White Hot Truth, and her podcast, With Love, ranks in iTunes' top 10 for wellness, which, for those that know how many pod- podcasts there are on wellness, that is quite, quite quite amazing. And her website was named by Forbes as one of the top 100 websites for women as millions of people come here to visit daniellaporte.com for mindful living and spiritual guidance. Sister Bear, thank you so much for doing this with us. It is such a pleasure to have you here today. And your book, How to Be More Loving, man, it is very timely to be receiving a book like this. Can you tell us about your inspirations in terms of what was coming? Because it's it's quite the journey you've been, and I'd love to sort of talk about where we left off last episode, but I think I'd love to sort of gain the insights on what inspired you to write this book first. How to be loving, how to be loving as your heart is breaking open and the world is waking up. Uh, what inspired, it's, you know, books uh, for me, I don't sit down and create from a blank page. It's like a book is a curation of this is what I've been thinking about and experiencing for the last three to five years. So Mm. this is a curation of um, considering where feelings really come from, which is the unconscious self, uh, what it means to live a virtuous life, Mm -hmm. which is way cooler than the Catholic church makes it sound. (laughs) Um, you know, moving from uh, really that kind of space of desire and feelings to virtue and a more heart-centered way of being. Mm. And I wrote this book while the world was like really falling apart. I think it's still falling apart. And it's right on time. Mm. When you say the world is falling apart, what what are the symptoms that you're specifically tuning into when you say the world is falling apart? What feels like it's falling apart for you? Mm Well, I have a, I have a heart centered membership and in the membership, Mm. I hear a lot about, uh, there's anxiety, there's suicidal ideation. There is, I mean, people's nervous systems are ravaged. There's difficulty sleeping. There's a lot of heartbreak over the polarization and the division of the last few years. There's, I want to let my mother back into my life, but we still have different political views, Um, I want to forgive how do, where do I begin? Mm -hmm. I'm burned out. There's like kind of a fatigue. There's a lot of worry. I mean, this is just my membership, right? There's a lot of worry about the future of the world. And there's also 
a lot of faith, a lot of hope, a lot of turning to community. And it's very mm. clear that community community is the medicine. There's a lot of um, reprioritization, like bag my job. I do not need to do that. Mm. I There's a lot more, a shift towards like meaningfulness mm -hmm. and purposefulness. There is a greater awareness that like relationships really are everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been um I've been coaching. I've had the privilege of coaching some people that are actually transitioning over to the other side, and uh, it's remarkable some of the things they share They're with dying? you. Are they dying? Are they dying? Are they leaving yeah. corporate? No, no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're in the process of letting go of life, I guess, touchwood in some way. Um, and it's, it's remarkable. The, it's just, yeah, just the, just the things that they reflect upon and their regrets. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's got nothing to do with the success they had or didn't have, you know, and I know that sounds so cliche, but it's, I wish I had more fun. I wish I spent more time with the people that mattered, you know, and yeah, it's, it's really interesting to hear the, the challenges that even like from that inner circle of your, you know, your tribe and your membership that you're getting, because I imagine the people that are, have sunk into your work are obviously, I don't want to, there's probably a better way of putting this, but vibing quite high <laughs> inherently. And yet they can also feel how much, um, challenge is, is present in there. Um, there was a point where you weren't going to write this book. There was a point where you were actually in the last little bit, just going to hang it all on a hook and just, I don't want to say become a recluse, <laughs> but uh, maybe there was a mountain in the Himalayas that was calling you to just chill out. So tell us a bit about what's, is that also you were feeling everything that everybody else has been feeling? And then there was this kind of, oh, tell us a little bit about what's going on. What happened there? Before the book, I came. feel all those things. I feel like every few years I go through, I don't, and maybe I'm done, maybe this cycle is done, but that I just question everything. You know, I've had my own kind of human, holy, outer world, inner world mm. tension. Like, do I need to do this? Should I do this? Is this the greatest use of my life? Would I be more enlightened if I just walked away? Mm. Um, do I, who needs the Instagram algorithm? You know, like not me. Uh, and then I just, I come around, I come mm. around, you know, maybe I just need like a little, I need a three day weekend and a massage, but <laughs> um, this time it felt more money, like questioning everything felt more monumental. What, what got mm. clear was like, I want to radically simplify my life. Mm. I let go a ton of stuff, a house and a car and all those things. Mm. I'm still working on like simplifying business stuff and career stuff. But the revelation this time was like, I'm actually built for this mm -hmm. and I have no guilt about it. Like, I love the game. I love the game of publishing. Mm. I, you know, I want to feel close to source mm -hmm. and I want to rock the Instagram algorithm on behalf of something meaningful. I'm going to mm -hmm. use, I'm going to use all these contemporary tools and, you know, ways of being on behalf of love. Yeah. Let's talk, let's, <laughs> yay. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the content because it has gone through what, well, it feels like an evolution. looks like an inspired evolution. Um, cause the desire map last conversation we had was all about feeling 
and allowing your feelings space to really own them and name them and connect to them. And we had some really interesting conversations. I remember how limited my worldview was even being able able to name like a range of feelings. It was just like I only had a handful of labels, which meant how well are you actually connected to what's coming up for you when you don't even recognize it as in the nuances for what it is. So that was a really powerful episode for me. Um, and now it seems like your work has gone from feeling that still remains a part of it, but now it's about embodying. Can you tell us about that evolution, that shift and yeah, anything, well, any insights on the, on the evolution of that would be super useful. I think that that's a beautiful summary. So, uh, my world used to be built on that question. How do you, how do I want to feel? Mm. And that was the center of my work, right? You got clear on what I called your core desire feelings mm -hmm. and your business plan was designed against those feelings yep. on half of those feelings, et cetera, et cetera. And it's all legit. It's still juicy. I stand mm -hmm. by it, but I'm really clear. It's not the end game. Mm. Yes. Get clear on how you want to feel. Yes. Your feelings are like a global positioning system to your higher self. They matter. They really matter, mm -hmm. but it's a developmental stage. It's not, you know, because you can be in a bad mood. You can be grieving. You can be angry. You can be in the midst of loss mm -hmm. and you can still feel connected to a bigger story supported by life. You can still feel loved and loving mm. on really dark days. And so my uh, kind of next spin around like mm. my own evolutionary cycle was like, okay, fulfillment is not predicated on me being in a good mood. Mm. And I, I would hope so. Like I didn't quite make the connection where, where on one hand I was saying, I want to be, um, centered no matter what. I want to be heart centered no matter what. I don't want to let my, a bad mood or a, a review or what somebody said or somebody else's mood throw me off. I want to be able to be loving and compassionate and clear minded at all times. Mm. Okay. Yes, that remains the same. In order to do that, you can't be at the mercy of your feelings. Mm. If you're going to be unmessable with, mm -hmm. if you're going to be heart centered, it's not about if you're happy or if that made you sad or if you're angry. Mm. Those things are happening. You don't push them away, but you choose to be bigger. Mm. You choose to be more expansive and more vast. It's like, I'm this greater being. I'm a soul. I'm a heart. I'm vast. There's some feelings going by. I acknowledge them, but I'm not my anger. You know, like I, I love the converse, you know, I love words, but, um, I love conversations around, well, first of all, not identifying with emotions and being bigger, but I think it's more useful to say, rather than saying I'm sad mm. or I'm angry, it's much more powerful to say I'm experiencing sadness. Mm -hmm. Oh, I felt some anger. Yeah. Sends a very different message to your psyche. Mm -hmm. Because if you're the emotion, you're going to get spun out. If you yeah. are the feeling, you are at ev you are at the whim of of your hormones and the weather and everybody else's all that momentum that comes with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the embodying piece is is actually really 
that it seems somewhat subtle potentially for some people because for some people tuning into this podcast, I imagine they believe they can actually identify the feelings within their body. But I love the piece that you're sharing that in order, yeah, the feeling of, well, that happiness is not as strong in orientation as fulfillment is fundamentally. Yes. Um, that fulfillment is much more important. And do you think that's the cracking open of the heart that you're discussing in, because you're talking about the cracking open of the heart as the world is waking up and the world is waking up. Mm. As within, so without, I definitely want to ask that question at some point. <laughs> um, what is going on in the world? Is this meant to be what we're meant to be doing at the moment? But the yeah. cracking open of the heart, yeah, can you tell us, well, let's go there. I'll, yeah. Well, I actually think that the heart is always open. I think there's mm. lots of things that push us to to look at the heart, to mm. turn to the heart and say, okay, all the answers and all my power and all my strength is there. Um, but I think a really useful thing is to play with the concept that your heart is actually always open, mm. that it's your mind that has you think they're better than you, you're inferior, or you're superior, they're inferior. It's actually the mind that is always looking to divide to um, process, to judge. Mm. And it's the mind is not the enemy. The ego is not the enemy. The ego mm. is most definitely not the enemy. The ego is the way home. Um, so if you just walk through the day thinking to yourself, when you know you come up some against some judgment, mm. you're judging somebody else, you feel guilty and unspiritual because you're judging somebody else. Or you're feeling all judged and then you get all cranky and pissed off because they're judging you. And you start to feel that collapsed feeling, you know, there's like contraction and shrinking. And then the mind looping happens. You know, we all do this every day. Um, if you can just get with, well, actually, self, my heart is open all the time. Oh, even in this little bind, mm. even in this argument, my heart is actually not closing. I'm just thinking about <laughs> <laughs> um that's can be that can be really helpful you're vast you are vast yeah it's in it's beautiful to hear say that because i can feel it feels expansive inside as you're saying that um that the heart is actually always open and the the bits of limitations are popping in from the mind you said the ego is the way home that's an intriguing um statement from someone that's talking about heart. Can you tell us a little bit more what you mean by that? Yeah. I think, you know, in our space, in this wellness, self-help space, uh, I mean, my experience was I thought I had to like, the ego was the bad guy and I mm. needed to get it under control yes. and I needed to repress. Crack the whip. Shadows, <laughs> yes, I needed to get her in shape. <sighs> Yeah, so I could be more enlightened and more spiritual, all those things. And that just creates more ego, like mm -hmm. the ego, just feeling like the ego, its own self is the problem, you know? Mm -hmm. And look, we created the ego. We created the mind. It's a beautiful thing. It's all from source. It's got, you know, it gets a little out of control, creates a lot of problem, creates a lot of, um, uh, what's the word? It wreaks havoc, mm. but it can be used for beautiful purposes, right? Mm -hmm. And so the ego creates a lot of darkness and chaos. Mm. 
-hmm. And it's through that struggling with the darkness and chaos that we realize that we're actually the stuff of light mm -hmm. and divine order. So the mask that is the ego leads us to our true self. Like you wouldn't know who you are unless you had to peel some things back. Mm. So there's lots to be grateful for to the ego. It's not about, you know, I'm ta not talking about, you know, use your ego to become a baller or number one in your industry. Mm. Although if you want to do that, go ahead. But um, the shadow makes us go dive for mm. the light. Yeah, it's interesting because what I'm hearing is the... The heart, I imagine, is you know, is all about oneness and inclusivity and and unity, and the ego is this tool that is there for division, um, and being able to judge and separate, and yet looking at it closely with love <laughs> allows it to go. Oh yeah, that's that thing that you do to help me navigate three D reality. That's it. That's <laughs> it. Looking at it with love instead of like, you're holding me back you're you're creating karma for me you cost me the job it's like mm. you know i talk about this and how to be loving it's the phrase egoing and mm. this is actually i'm boring this from I yeah it's know. a verb not a noun in the book this is yeah, yeah. please go <laughs> sorry so, <laughs> i'm excited so, let's say you know we have an e an egocentric moment and maybe yeah. we're like a little greedy or we're a little we're a little um arrogant about something or indulgent yeah indulgent or you know the other way the ego shows up which we're not really trying to see maybe we're too conflated and we're too meek and we get into this insecurity story whatever it is it's not you know the ego isn't you feeling expansive and alive either way you're either pushing or you're pulling mm. so we have those moments and then because you know we're all waking up all the time and anybody who's listening to this wants to be more conscious and heart-centered we're going to have those moments go, I cannot believe I said that. I, what a shitty thing to say. That was so egocentric of me. And instead of getting down on ourselves and pushing the ego away, mm. we can just say, oh, I was egoing. That's it. We have these moments. It's so clear for us to, to see when we were, when we've been loving. Mm. You can say to yourself, that was so loving of me. I was so, I really listened. I was really generous. I was so cool in that moment. Yeah. Same thing with ego. You, it's the opposite of loving. Mm. Oh, I was just egoing. Yeah. And just even that phrase makes it less of an enemy. It's not, it's just a thing you were doing. Because mm. this is the other thing around ego in our space is we tend to, with all the language around it, we look at the ego as something outside of ourselves. It's this other thing. Mm. It isn't this other thing. It's part of us. It's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, we, we create it. So um, sometimes we're loving, sometimes we're egoing. Yeah, I love that because oftentimes you can feel like you said, oh, I'm being loving in this moment. But you rarely go the flip side of what you said, which is, oh, yeah, I I am love. But you say, oh, I'm, I'm my ego, <laughs> you know, but you don't say I'm egoing. So it's almost like there's this distance between your loving and, you know, where your ego sits. You identify with your ego, but you don't identify with your love. And the invitation to flip the script on that through your work in this particular book is, yeah, it's it's quite a it's quite a seismic shift. It, it's a real coming home. Um, for those that are tuning in, I guess now's a great time to ask: in the day to day, what does it look like to be more loving? Um, because I know 
part of me has tuned into the energy of this book and the book feels like it wants to be even on corporate desks in offices everywhere <laughs> as well as in home on people's bookshelves and I know that that's a conversation that potentially isn't um widely had in those corporate environments and yet maybe the time well not maybe probably the time is now for that conversation yeah. to start enter there so there's quite a courageous sort of a wing of courage on the back of this paperback um where it wants to head so can you tell us a little bit about what it looks like to be more loving that transcends all the different environments that we may be in mm. uh stop pushing things away mm. stop pushing away discomfort, other opinions, um, all that stuff that you want to hide, you start to embrace. Mm. It's the, um, it's the antidote to excessive desire and excessive aversion. Mm. Right? Like I'm really interested in reverence, mm. really interested in reverence mm. and reverence is like, we actually, you know, speaking of corporate, we, I have the heart centered coaching facilitator community. And sometimes, you know, this is happening in yoga classes. Other times it's happening with huge consulting firms. I actually did this with, um, uh, these women who are running a big accounting global accounting agency in Cybertech, And we asked them to write love letters to the feelings that they have a hard time with. So I lay it out for them. I say, um, we ask them to, to work with positive and negative states. So mm. you're going to write a love letter to your courage. Oh, that's easy. Everybody's so grateful <laughs> for that mojo, right? Okay. Mm. You're going to write a letter to your overwhelm. All right. You're going to write a leader. You're going to write a letter to your leadership quality, your leadership prowess. Easy. Mm. Okay. Now you're going to write a letter to your anxiety. Mm. And the idea is that you're going to find the positive and the negative, mm-hmm. And you're also going to, take out some of the over attachment to all the, the positive feelings. Like Mm. I'm only valuable and I'm only a great leader when I'm courageous. No, you're valuable because you showed up and you have lots of other qualities to bring. Right. So, um, I'm only, I'm only rocking if I'm in a state of happiness. Mm -hmm. No, you can be making huge progress on your life path on days when you're not happy. So, um, yeah, it's an exercise to neutralize, attachments and repulsion to different emotions. I love that. And then there's this opportunity to sink into greater levels of trust that what is happening to me is actually happening for me is what I'm actually hearing as well, because it's on my path. One of the questions that begs itself from us embracing everything is the, where do healthy boundaries sit in and around that? Can you help sort of de- uh, mystify sort of the boundaries between right. boundaries and embracing it all and what's healthy and what's, what serves me and what doesn't. Mm. Boundaries are necessary and essential, but they too are not the end game mm. They're I believe they're for myself, they're developed, they're, they're part of a developmental process. Mm. So, you know, the journey is in learning how to love yourself. You help other people, know how to love you. You have standards, you have, you have some healthy expectations. And usually at the, you know, in the beginning of that, we overshoot and we become so overbounded, right? Like Mm -hmm. this works for me. That doesn't work for me. You're crossing my boundaries. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we get excessive. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you kind of come back to center, Mm -hmm. which is 
I'm spacious. I'm loving. I have room to accommodate things, other people's kinds of weirdness and behavior and their unclean psyches. And um, you become less botherable. Mm -hmm. You become hard, way harder to offend. Mm -hmm. And so your orientation isn't you walking through the world looking for who's offending you and who isn't and who, mm -hmm. who's crossing your boundaries and who isn't because that's just, it's, that just creates this inner divisiveness and it creates really these energy blocks to your natural state of being, which is, you know, a healthy permeability. Mm. You've got to have room for like the stinky guy on the bus you don't <laughs> have room for it. The obnoxious person on your team. Yeah. And you got to have room for, you know, that person you love mistreats you sometimes because they're unhealed. And like, it's okay. It's okay. We're all going to get there. It's really interesting because the last few episodes on the Inspired Evolution, there has been this resounding theme that as you become more spiritual, you actually don't become more sensitive. Like a sign That's that you're actually embodying your spirituality is that you're becoming more robust. Whereas we oftentimes do see that, oh, I'm spiritual, but I can't do that. Or I like, like you said, that permeability, um, you, because of your spirituality, you're able to actually like the rubber gloves come on, the sleeves get rolled up and you've got this real, yeah, salt of the earth sort of thing going on. Um, which yeah, is even echoed in the sentiments of what you're sharing there. I really appreciate that. One of the things that I took away from the book is how to be more loving is it's a, it's it's navigating relationships in many ways. But one of the I found, and I'm sure everybody will get their own takeaway as they read the book. But I found actually it was a massive ode to self acceptance for me. Uh, oh, okay, so the, so it's not just me. <laughs> You're nodding. Okay, awesome. Um, yeah, I found that to be. Uh, yeah, once again, interesting that because our, our relationships almost form a mirror for ourselves to do our inner work, um, I guess, is the, is the synthesis there. But there's some key things in there. And you mentioned before you're simplifying your life um, a lot. And there's a theme in the book around gentleness. Is that simplifying tied into this gentleness piece that you're working on? Um, are they... Are they in matrimony or am I, am I overreaching? It's a great question. I hadn't thought about it. Um, I started to get more gentle before I simplified. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> I don't know. I'd say, you know, they're in the family, but I think they can be exclusive. I think, sure. um, yeah, I could simplify my life and still not be, uh, gentle on yourself. Yeah, yeah. Or yeah. Well, I guess I was trying to segue into gentleness. Um, tell me a little bit more about the role of gentleness in and around how to be more loving, because I've actually carried the intention uh, last year for a solid 12 months to be more gentle when my son first came through and I could see just mm. how much my wife's gentleness with my son was mm. giving him like how much more receptive he was um to everything and i was just being not just being a dad but you know as a dad you're a bit more come here let me pick you up throw in the air catch you <laughs> you know it's very like it's much more um i have an intensity touch wood <laughs> that i carry um but the gentleness was a real opportunity to learn and one thing i kept coming back to was actually it's an inner it's an inner piece of work um how gentle are you on yourself and it was it opened up many things but i'm 
conscious that it's an opportunity for you to share um, what you mean by gentleness. Yeah, mm. please. I think it's what everybody needs right now. Mm. I think it's the answer. I think it's the power play. I think it's the medicine. I think it's what we're looking for and we don't know we're looking for it. I think gentleness practiced, embodied, baked into all of our social systems and practices and relationships, economics, politics would be the evolutionary leap. It's um, gentleness is the sister of reverence. Reverence is the great transmuter. Mm -hmm. um, it's like, look, the, the world is suffering right now. Mm -hmm. Things are aggressive and divided and excessive and materialistic. And there's so much hostility and we're still going to war over different perceptions and God, which is just the definition of insanity. Every system that is the, that hinges society together is corrupt. The, the global, the collective nervous system is fried. What is the answer to regulating the nervous system? Gentleness. Mm. Not even heavy fire pranayana, yama breathing. Mm. Not necessarily marathons, but rest, a different tone, more hydration, mm. yin yoga, shavasana, mm. hanging out with people with whom you feel more at ease, laughter for the vagus nerve, <laughs> collaboration to help melt the ego, gentleness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. so spacious <laughs> in there. There is so much space in there as you're sharing that. And I, the, as I was carrying this intention, one of the things that, um, that I would remark upon in the process of it was even just how close to home it was applicable. Um, and like you said, the collective nervous system feels fried <laughs> at times and the opportunity to just how much it, it allows us to, to rest and come home. But I remember just sitting there and just looking at my thoughts and going, even like simple things, when I messed something up, I'm like, oh man, you did that again. You know, and it's just even that just going, oh, you did that, yeah. you know, and just how harsh, like it doesn't sound very harsh, but even they're just going, oh, you did that thing again, bro. You know, just how loving. Because like, you wouldn't gentleness. say to your son, oh, you did that again. At all, right? At all. But Remember then yet, it. yeah, exactly, exactly. And that gave me such an amazing window and mirror to look into go, oh, yeah, this is what gentleness mm -hmm. can really feel like. And I love the way you describe it as just completely an antidote for the time. I know you've meditated on the word antidote quite a bit um, mm -hmm. because, yeah, it it is so subtle and yet somehow so easy to carry and yet somehow so difficult at the same time in the face of everything that we're, we're navigating in that there's also a, a conversation to be had on receptivity, um, as we're living from the heart. What does receptivity, um, mean when we're, yeah. Yeah. Also antidotal, right? Like, uh, culturally, we push, we strive, we hack, we metric, mm. we measure our way to everything. Hustle. Come uh, on. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. We, we look, we search, we mm. aggregate, we go and get answers. But I mean, and even if not, especially in this, the wellness space, it's like, let me, what are the five steps to fix this? Mm. I think the powerful thing to do is to 
open ourselves to the best kind of guidance, higher mm -hmm. guidance. And to do that, we need to be still. This is actually a characteristic of the age of Aquarius that we're moving into. I mean, we're mm -hmm. swinging more to everybody really being more receptive. This is the heart-centered life. Mm -hmm. So it's your morning meditation or your morning walk where instead of just thinking through the best strategy, you just are open to whatever wants to come in. Like the answer will strike you. Maybe mm. the answer doesn't come on the walk, but the spirit is going to work into your thoughts later in the day. It's like I had, um, there was a, a woman in our heart center membership who she has an adult daughter and there's some conflict with them. And she said, uh, you know, I don't know. Should I, should I text her or should I phone her? Should I, mm. should I DM her or should I handwrite her a letter? Should I invite her to Thanksgiving, but not to Christmas? And, and, you know, <laughs> I should, I, how, when she comes to the house, should I do this? Should I do that? And, you know, understandably she's going in a strategy mode, like what's going to work? Mm. How am I going to fix this? And I said, have you just sat in your backyard in your gar garden and had a conversation with her in your heart? Mm. Oh, hadn't gone there. And lots of us in this space want to think of ourselves as tuned in, mm. <laughs> but we don't actually tuning in is not like the first default. You know, mm. we go, we go to the tools before we go to the tuning in and we want to, and here's the irony, like we want to hire a consultant or an energy worker or someone to give us the answer. It's like, you're the energy worker. Mm. Just sit down. Be still, get off your phone, and be receptive. Mm. Just receive. I also think, um, I talk about this a lot when I talk to business women. I talk to them about the concept of basking mm. in terms of receptivity. Because for lots of us, you know, just the word receptivity is, it throws people off, right? Mm -hmm. Like you can't. So I say just, you're on a beach and it's safe and it's warm. What's your only job? To bask, to absorb the vitamin D that is looking to penetrate every cell. What's your job every day? To just bask in the higher intelligence that wants to get to you. Mm. Thank you so much for sharing about receptivity. I wanted to take a bit of a leap into um, understanding about well, there's two two directions I want to go in, but the first one is Age of Aquarius. You mentioned that collectively, um, you think the world is waking up. That's in the title in the in the subtitle of the book. Um, what is this Age of Aquarius? What are, like is there a collective waking up? What is what is humanity's potential what is in this all age of Aquarius? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what is humanity's potential in around all of this right now that you you feel into? Mm. Well, as the mystics teach, we go through these two thousand year cycles. The last two thousand year transition mm. what was happening jesus the christ was walking the earth we were in the age of pisces which was about um individuality individuation mm. super essential gotta learn how to be your own person mm -hmm. we're kind of over that now mm -hmm. because we've been excessively individualistic We've been looking out for number one for a long time. Now it's toxic. This is really the essence of a kind of toxic patriarchal energy. Just exploit for me, dominate mm -hmm. on behalf of me. Mm -hmm. So age of Aquarius, the hallmarks are unity consciousness, collaboration, 
group determination on behalf of goodwill. Um, basically just getting together to do good things. Mm. And so how that works on a practical level is like, who can we lift up? Who do we need to be having conversations with? Does everything on our list of goal setting or our vision boards, our dream boards, does it include the happiness of others? When we go crush a goal, are we asking like, wow, how does me being fulfilled contribute to the people in my life? Mm -hmm. um, how could I have more inclusive visions and goals and intentions? Who needs to be at the table? Mm. And I think, you know, the idea is to always to go with the flow of higher energy. Mm -hmm. So to not move in towards a state of like goodwill for the collective is going could be very painful mm. for some people. And I am at a place now where I really think that the the soul does not actually recognize selfish desires. Like manifesting is a technology. You come mm. up with a vision, a vision, you you water that seed every day, you think about it, you feel it, you see yourself winning the thing, whatever mm. it is. Anybody can work with that technology. Mm -hmm. You can win at that technology, but it's only really actually truly fulfilling. It's only good for your nervous system. You're only going to feel good when you get there if it's a heart-centered goal. Mm. And I, my experience is if you are playing for the team, if the goal really is an inclusive heart-centered goal, mm -hmm. it's more, um, there's going to be more synchronicities. Um, it's not, it's not that it won't be without challenge, but you're going to feel like the universe is on your side. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, I, what I'm hearing is it's a transition from this me state to a we state, um, yes. as we're going through this shift. And I can imagine when we're egoing, there's a lot of me <laughs> and that's that, mm. um, the, I did want to ask you today, and I'm not sure where it would have fit in the conversation, but I think it fits here. Um, the dark night of the soul. Um, yeah. And maybe collectively as we go from meing to weing, there's a collective dark night of the soul. I don't know. But maybe I'm pre-programming your answer and I should stop doing that. <laughs> what is... Well, we are in a collective dark night, yes. Ah, incredible. So maybe that is... Um, a great place to have this conversation then what is the dark night of the soul because you hear people well i've heard people mention this but to actually understand what that means and maybe it's subjective to each individual soul but to your soul to your awareness what does that mean because i know you've facilitated a lot of support for people going through a lot of heavy things i think it is i think it's subjective but i think it's universal at the same mm, time mm. Like, i think there are some qualities to an actual like a bona fide dark night of the soul there are lots of challenges we're going to experience to varying degrees. There are lots of times for each of us, we're going to just say, I cannot take any more. Mm. And there's lots of times where I think the term dark night of the soul and its intensity gets misused mm. because yeah, it's hard, but guess what? This is not it. And when you get there, you know, you are there. Um, from my experience and then my just research into other saints and sages and mystics who write about mm. dark night one of the key characteristics is that 
there's this kind of dissolution of the personality. Like you're not sure who you are anymore. You're not sure what you worship, your relationship to, you know, what you believed in is gets shattered. Like a lot of the masks get burned. You feel like you do not have a compass. So mm. where life challenges can be like, all this is getting piled on me and I don't know how to get through it, but I know who I am and I'm going to figure this out. Great. Yes. Doesn't necessarily make it any, make it any easier, but dark night is like, who am I? Who was I? Who will I be after this? I don't know where I'm going. It is very annihilating feeling. And I think the, I mean, a lot of mysticism right now is speaking about Gaia, Mother Earth herself, moving into the dark night. Mm. And, you know, you can, you can hear this in a lot of conversations around whether it's environmentalists or, or physicians or philosophers saying like it's 50, 50 for humanity. Mm. That's a pretty sobering, terrifying, exhilarating, incredible statement mm -hmm. that when you really see thought, many, many, many thoughtful people all saying it's 50, 50, that is a reflection of the heart of the matter, the mother. And I wonder if she wonders if she's, how she's going to make it, mm. if she'll make it. Um, I mean, she just one part of a greater, you know, of a bigger, much, much bigger universe. Um, and the individual dark nights that we're going through, I think if we could look at those as our way of well, our way of healing and expanding and finding out what we're really made of, mm. our divine nature, but also that is of service. You know, like you deal with your loss and grief and anxiety disorder and diagnosis or whatever it is, mm. not know who you are, who you're becoming. It's of service to the collective. It's of service to the mother. You heal you, your cell in the body of the earth. You get your cell in order. You get your nervous system nourished. You get your house together. Mm -hmm. And you are doing something, something really meaningful to the greater, the greater good. Mm. This sentiment was echoed in our last conversation as well, just how important our, um, our journey is as a service to others without us even being aware of it and also being aware of it. Um, and since then, I had the privilege of also interviewing a gentleman named Stephen Jenkinson on a topic called Die Wise. And he talked about how even our death as we die wise is not actually ours. It belongs to our loved ones. Um, it's an opportunity for us to do our best to transition with grace and ease and yet not even force and push that, but just come to as much peace as we can um, because it teaches, it's our legacy. It is actually our legacy in many ways as well. And I imagine what you're describing as well, this dark night of the soul, this going from me to we, it's it's like an ego death in many ways. Um, and it's an opportunity for us to once again be of service um, to the best of our ability um, without pushing, with that gentleness, with receptivity. Can I say something about the term ego death? Yeah, please. Um, I know what you're saying and I know what people mean when we say ego death. Mm. 
it's not actually an ego death. Mm -hmm. It's, it's an, it's an ego illumination. It's a, it's an ego embracing. It's mm -hmm. a befriending. This is what happens in the dark night. If you get mm -hmm. to the other side is you befriend the most gnarly part of yourself. Mm -hmm. um, you befriend the part of you that's been trying to kill you and keep you separate <laughs> from all this great knowledge, you know, wisdom, I should say. Um, the ego doesn't die. The mind, I think as long as we're here, the mind is going to be alive. Mm -hmm. We may as well just use it, use the mind for higher good. Yeah, that's mm. the best. I mean, that's the best use of free will, right? You can go either way, 50-50. Yeah, well, so, if, and this is just a hypothetical from here then, in the enlightened state, let's just, whatever that is, um, the ego and the mind is integrated into the being. It's not they've transcended the ego and the mind and the being. Thoughts on that? Well, you can only transcend something by including it, right? So it's it's not hmm. like, you know, an enlightened being doesn't leave their, their ego out, doesn't put it out to pasture. It brings it, the ego with them. It, mm. I know my darkness. I know my mind. I know my light. I know my heart. We all go forward together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you are enlightened, you better know, you, you can't get there without knowing your darkness. And you better have your eye on it. Mm -hmm. Because the more powerful you become, the more dangerous you become. Mm. And the more... um positively effectual you become i mean you look at any great master and you think what if what if jesus went and played for darth vader you know like and this is really the so much the hero's journey like you look at the, you know the quote villains mm. in all of the stories and almost with all of them they became the bad guy as a result of a broken heart mm. And they don't process their grief, and then they just go and terrorize. They take out their mm, agony out and terrorize place. people, right? But you think, all that power Darth Vader had, mm. and he could have used, he could, what if he did it for good? The mm. galaxies he could have saved, you know? Mm. Um, but the same works with any great leader. I mean, you look at, you know, I'm very interested in Yogananda, autobiography of a yogi is what yeah. he's supposed to and you think about if Yogananda turned out to be a bad guy, mm. Oof, the damage <laughs> that that converted goodness could have wrought. Could have know? raked, yeah. So I don't think the good guys suppress their bad guy qualities. I think they integrate them. Mm. They're aware they have loved them in, back into the light. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's really important for us to hear. And, um, yeah, it's actually how I see this book um, in many ways as well. It's a call back to our lights in our heart um, in and around all the darkness that, you know, potentially is present. Um, there is always this beacon of light in your heart, how to be more loving. Now, the book I'm acquainted with, but it comes with a set of cards. Can you describe to me what the cards are about just for those that are tuning in so they might be interested too because the book is available to all of us and the, the cards are as well. But I got the book, yes, I didn't get the cards. Deck. Tell me what's going on. <laughs> it's, a it's a deck. So there's the How to Be Loving book, uh -huh. there's a companion journal, and then there's a really cool set of 52 cards as a deck to just pull as a journal prompt or a conversation starter or ah. 
a friction piece and you can draw on them as guided by intuition. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Glad I asked. Glad I asked. And obviously, Daniel, there is so many people coming and visiting your website because it's a wealth of resources there as well. Um, but for those that want to tune in more, um, obviously, we'll put a link to the book in the show notes below. Um, but is there something that you would like to point people to? DanielleLaporte.com, because then we can actually have a relationship mm-hmm. as opposed to the whims of Instagram and algorithms that day. And yeah, that's where I like to hang out. And I post all my podcasts through there. And I mean, you can listen to my podcast with Love Danielle anywhere, but yeah, DanielleLaporte.com. Yeah. And I think um, feeling into just what you said there as well, I think there's a real opportunity at this time because I think snackable bite-sized content is becoming you know, much more of the norm. But I think there's a real space where long form content, building relationships, like visiting someone's website, getting to know them a little bit better. Actually, like I find even in the YouTube conversations, like in the comments below, even to this, um, this, this video on YouTube, there's, there'll be a straight of comments. I know it now because that's what's been happening in Inspired Evolution and people are building relationships with each other. There's a community forming and there's long form content has this, has, I don't want to say, I think, and this is just my impression of it, but snackable content has much more egoing in it at times because it's much more, oh, just capture this, capture this, and we end up divided down these little scattered rabbit holes, whereas long-form content has this ability to keep you whole, listen to a whole story and a journey and really feel into There's much more integration that happens, I feel, but maybe that's just my bias. Um, yeah, just because I've been producing both, and, yeah, I just really have this affinity for the long-form content, and you have been producing content for a very long time, Daniel. So I just want to take this opportunity to thank you. Thank you so much for being here and sharing so much light with us here today. But it would be rude of me, like I was saying, to just thank you for today. You, it's a lifetime's worth of work that you've put into this. Um, it's been gorgeous to witness the evolution that, you know, the body of work from feeling to embodying has gone through um, since the last time we spoke. And I know that the next time we speak, it's just going to be, I'm going to have to be getting to know you all over again as well, just because the amount of growth that you go through. So just my hat's really off and just my deepest gratitude on behalf of myself and the Inspired Evolution Tribe for you consistently doing the work and showing up to inspire us forward. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My honor. Mm. Inspired Evolution Tribe, thank you so much for tuning in. You listened all the way to the end of an episode. You guys are truly inspired to evolve. On behalf of Danielle and myself, it is truly our greatest honor being a brother and a sister by your side, walking home together. Thank you so much. As always, stay inspired and keep evolving. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving.